108 words, you get a big picture of the scripture. And so today we're going to talk about the credibility of creeds. What's a creed? We'll talk about that. And we're going to look specifically at God the Father Almighty. And so let me just read this to you. Next week we will read it together because it's good to do. I know some of you did this growing up. You may be thinking, why is he talking on this? More on that in a minute. So let me read to you now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, we'll deal with that, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead and buried. He descended into hell. Really? We'll talk about that as well. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church. We'll talk about what that means. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And so... A few weeks ago, really the beginning of the semester, we covered the Ten Commandments, and that was 308 words. Good theology and worldview in 308 words. Then we looked at the Lord's Prayer. That's 52 words. That's a great summary of theology and worldview. And here, the Apostles' Creed, four, and this is 108 words. That's 468 words. They're all simple memorable. They're powerful. If the Ten Commandments gives you the principles to live by, the Lord's Prayer is the power with which we live by, prayer. The Apostles' Creed is a picture that if the first one is standards and the Lord's Prayer tells us to go to the source, God the Father Himself, here it tells a story. It begins with God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and ends with life everlasting. Amen. You get the entire scriptures summarized in 108 words. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And some of you may be thinking, well, I don't know. And here are the three reactions that you get when you say, well, I'm going to talk about the Apostles' Creed. You get the what? There's some of you like, I've never heard of the Apostles' Creed. That's interesting. Kind of cool. Uh, What is a creed? Well, everybody has a creed, whether it's written or unwritten. All of you have a creed. All of you have some set of beliefs and or rules that you're living by. Whether you've written them down or not, you have something you're living by. Just as if everybody, some churches like to pride themselves, well, we don't have a liturgy. Well, yeah, yeah, you have a liturgy. Every church has a liturgy. It's just, is it higher and more structured or lower and less structured? And so everybody has a creed. So if you're here and you're thinking, why the creed? It's because it is a great summation of biblical theology. Some of you are sitting there, no way. I I went to this denomination when I was a kid. We had to memorize it. We said it every week. It's ridiculous. Uh, Why are you even doing this? I'm hesitant to spend three minutes on it, less three weeks. Uh, I've I've heard pastors stand up. I've done this myself and and repent of it. This is my creed. And you hold up your Bible like that's something special. That's just somebody who hadn't thought through their theology. And then there are some of you who are here today who say, sure, with an asterisk, right? Because this is man-made, absolutely. We'll talk about where it came from. You say, sure heard of it, understand it, and see that it's a good representation. In fact, it may be one of the first outside the scriptures systematic theologies. Uh, I have a few here today. This is one. I hope to go through this as a church one day. Tim Challies put together a book called 
uh, visual theology, and he walks through the big picture of Scripture, the big issues of the faith, and how to walk with Jesus, all in pictures and ways that appeal to this culture we live in. It's a wonderful book. Uh, Norm Geisler, who's more of an apologist, came out. They put, finally put all of his in one. His is called Systematic Theology, uh, Bible, God, Creation, Sin, Salvation, Church, and the Last Things. One of my favorites is Wayne Grudem. The reason I like him a lot is that in every chapter, he has scripture memory to go along with it. He has hymns that go with it. And he does, in my opinion, the best job of presenting all the views of all the big issues that are out there. And he even puts it on a cool little like uh, play sheet. You know, I could talk up here like I was saying something about it. It's pretty cool. Then you got some of you grew up and some of you own the Ryrie Study Bible. There's Charles Ryrie's Systematic Theology. Millard Erickson, if you were Baptist, here's the, the Baptist theology. Some of you want to go back and big church, church historians, Lewis Burkhoff, look at the binding on that. That's amazing. Presbyterian theology, and then some of you are drooling and know you can't have them, volumes one and two of the Institutes. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's good, but man, man can err Right, and we're going to deal with some of what we may see as a little different in the Apostles' Creed. Some of you are saying, I don't like systematic theology. I just want to read the Bible. I just want to sing. But raise your hand. Do you like hymns? Anybody? Raise your hand. Hymns? Hymns of grace here. Garrett, our fearless worship leader, says this is his new favorite because it combines the old and the new. It's kind of a combination of the Trinity hymnal and the Baptist hymnal in one with old and new, the song we sang today. Uh, all glory be to Christ in here. You know what hymns are? Systematic theologies put to music. Think about it. And so we can't reject the idea that we want to talk about some systematic theology. Really what this is, and I have it up here as a main point, the Apostles' Creed is a study on the Trinity through an early systematic theology. And some of you may be saying, I came to get like five points of how to do parenting better today. Not going to happen. Why do we study theology? Because it will ground you, it will root you, it will help you in the practice of everyday life. But when the storms come in, I, I've, and, I've, and we've walked through some here at this church the first four years, never in those first four years when those storms came did somebody say, give me 32 things to get through this. What got through this is a sovereign God. God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. That's what gets you through the storms of life. Why the Trinity? Why can't we just study the Bible? Because the Trinity uh, is, is what distinguishes us from other churches. Here are ten reasons why we're going to study the Trinity. Number one, it's a distinguishing doctrine. This is what separates us from Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. This is what makes Christianity unique. It's central to our salvation. God selected us. Jesus died on the cross and saved us. And the Spirit seals us. All three working together. Read Romans 1 if you want to get a good... Romans 1, 1 through 7, if you want a good summary of all the Godhead working together in our salvation. It gives us respect for roles and how we live out where God has placed us. It's a pattern for our prayers. Jesus said, pray to God the Father in His name according to the power of the Holy Spirit. It helps us to grow in grace, understanding who God the Father is, who Jesus the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is, God's presence with us today. It gives us unity, that you see unity. All three 
are co-equal. They're all three divine in diversity. There's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they live in community, perfect community. And it shows a respect for and or and and a working out of authority. That God the Father can send Jesus and the Spirit, and Jesus can send the Spirit, but you never see the Spirit sending the Father or the Son. It's a beautiful picture of how we should submit to and work in authority. And finally, mission. That God sent us, and it says in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, this is Jesus, so I send you. And we go now and with God's word, faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit. Why creeds? This, why the Apostles' Creed? Because it's the shortest. I've got a Bible here, the Reformation Study Bible. The reason I like it is because it has a bunch of creeds in the back. And you'll be thankful, I'll get a laugh out of some of you, uh, that I'm not going through the Heidelberg Catechism um, and I'm doing the Apostles' Creed. Thank you for this moment. This is 108 words. We'll be done in three weeks and I think you'll be blessed by it. Why did they use this Apostles' Creed? It's, they, it was called the Apostles' Creed because some think uh, the Apostles wrote it. Maybe, maybe not, but it definitely dealt with apostolic teaching, i.e. we're going to give it, we're going to submit to the Apostles' teaching. This is the Apostles' Creed. Some think it was written prior to the end of the New Testament. And so it is a very early document of what we believe. Here's what it was used for. Uh, it was used in baptismal confessions. It was used as theological instruction is what we're doing. It was used for doctrinal protection, that we're going to agree on these things. In fact, uh, an expansion of this is the Nicene Creed, and its entire reason the Nicene Creed is built, is written, it's built upon a diphthong. Now, if you're not a grammar student, you may not remember that, the connection of two vowels, but it's built upon a diphthong. Is Jesus of similar substance to the Father? Or is he of the same substance? And here's what, what's different for us. Yeah, we see these creeds and we say, yeah, that's great. We take them for granted. They're, oh, it's in the back of my study Bible and that's cute. But this is what our theology, this is what our churches are built upon. They are built upon the word of God. And then at councils, bishops came to say, we're going to defend this scripture and these creeds are going to capture this because people would come in and say, well, Jesus really didn't, Arius came in, came in, he really didn't exist. He wasn't of the same, he was of a similar substance and he would quote scripture. And so these pastors back then came up with these creeds. I tend to think we're going to head down that road in today's day and age, especially with the marriage issue the way it is, we're going to have to come up with a creed of here's what we believe the scriptures should say and you, you will rightly defend it. And so today we're going to look at one sentence. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You'll notice the Apostles' Creed, you get one sentence given to God, you get a bunch given to Jesus and then some to the Spirit and the church. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I, it is a personal uh, pronoun used there. I believe. Back when I taught this um, before, I taught it to some young singles a long time ago. I changed it to we because I was pretty, you know, arrogant in those days. I can change the Apostles' Creed. But then I actually studied it on why that you, you, you say it together in community, but you say it personally, I believe, because this is a personal confession of faith. I don't think I could get any better than the Apostles' Creed if I were to try to give a summary of what I believed. 
I personally believe, we say it in community, we confess it individually, I believe, I believe, pestuo is the word used here, and it's the same word that John uses 258 times, uh, 153 times it's used in the, in the Gospels, John uses them 85 times, it's 258 in the Bible. Same word that's used here. They chose that carefully. This isn't like, I believe in UFOs, like they may or may not be real, or I believe in democracy as if it's beneficial. This is more than I believe. It's I believe into. That's what pistuo means. I believe into something. It's more than mere intellectual assent. It is a faith in something. Tim Challies, just this week, is starting a new series in his blog. I suggest you check it out. It's called Why I Am Not. And here's the beginning of it. I am a person who has deep religious beliefs, beliefs that give shape to my convictions, which in turn give shape to my life. My faith takes the place of utter centrality so that I am who I am and I live how I live because of it. You cannot understand me and I cannot understand myself apart from faith. You know, I would say that for anybody. Christian or non-Christian, I would say who, what you believe makes you who you are and that's how you're going to live. And I think sometimes many Christians live as practical atheists. He goes on to say, if faith so shapes me that it works itself out in every thought, in every action, if it so shapes me that I cannot understand myself apart from it, I am responsible to carefully examine the nature of that faith. In an age when my many consider religious beliefs as subjective and irrational, I am convinced that any conviction worth holding must stand up to serious scrutiny. So how did I come to my faith? Why do I believe strongly in the existence of God instead of doubting or denying it? And so he's going to walk through that, and I look forward to reading it. And so it begins with, I believe. Let me just give you the most famous Christian scripture plus the two that follow it so you see the the essence of believing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His only begotten, His monogenes. That's in the Nicene Creed, by the way. That whoever believes in Him or believes into Him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life rides on what you believe in. Verse Verse 18. Or 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now watch this. We don't normally quote this one along with John 3.16. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. Praise the Lord. And whoever does not believe is condemned already. This is the, this is, this is the one whom Jesus loved. This is John who's soft and cuddly. He just said that. That he's condemned already because he's not believed in, I should have highlighted that, the name of the only Son of God. So it is important to believe. I believe. In fact, it's used in other parts of the Scriptures in the word faith. And if you wanted to turn somewhere in your Bible and you wanted to, to, uh, to secure some of what we're talking about today in Scriptures, I'd have you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm just going to give you the bookends of Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is our unseen, unwavering hope. For by it, that is by faith, that is what we believe, by it the people of old received their commendation. Not condemnation, but commendation. 
And the chapter ends with this. And all these, he's talking about the people that he just discussed, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That should blow you away. Here's this famous Hall of Faith chapter, begins and ends with the necessity of faith of people who believed it. And he's going to walk through from creation all the way through the Old Testament. And it says, God's provided something better for us. The immediate context is to the Hebrew Christians who are ready to punt and go say, I'm done. The world's getting, they're starting to persecute us. They're starting to say things about us. Sound familiar? And they're ready to go off. And he says, no, no, you hang out. Look at all the people. And they didn't receive what was promised, but by faith. They carried on, and we're included in that. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. And I would say to expand that, take all of the scriptures, all of church history, and write down from AD 65 to 2016, 1951 years, and you and I can say, this is happening today. We're all in this together. We're all of the same faith, those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did those saints believe in? who held to the Apostles' Creed. They believed in God. I believe in God. And let me tell you about the Apostles' Creed. It is accurate, and you'll see that we're going to make some variances with it. I don't don't like the use of Holy Ghost. Uh, But it is accurate as long as it stands up to Scripture. It's as if, if I had a map done by MapsCo, and you say, or, or take Google. Let's, Mapsco is so 1989. Um, let's go to Google, okay? You can go to Google, and there's three ways you can look at the map. But when you go to Google, it's fairly detailed. Now, if I wrote you, let's say I'm getting from my house to McDaly's house, and I, I could go and take you to Google. And, and put here, here, 0291 Tanager Circle, up here to the top of, of the highlands, and I could show you on a Google map. Or I could take that and put it on a napkin. Just because it's on a napkin doesn't make it any less credible than the Google, as long as it's accurate to Google. And so as long as this is accurate to the Scriptures, we can talk about it. I believe in God. There's only really four ways to think about God. That he does not exist, an atheist. That he does exist, but we can't know him, agnostics. Or that gods and gods exist, and we can know them, but they exist in many forms. That's polytheism. Or that we can believe in one God who who exists, and we can know him. And so, through the years... Apologists have come up with some arguments to show the existence of God. Does he exist? I believe in God. We better have some good reasonable arguments to believe in God. Now, most of us would say, I believe because the Bible tells me so. What what is that? Uh, Why does that little saying go? Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. That should be enough. But there are people who would never 
first pick up the scriptures and say that, we may give some arguments. There's the cosmological argument that comes from the word cosmos. The universe is a well-organized whole. And that the universe isn't an illusion. It's not eternal. Science tells us that. Uh, It wasn't formed from nothing. And so the universe had to be created by an eternal being. Some want to call it the Big Bang Theory. But the presence of the universe shows that there is somebody out there that exists. Everything exists has a cause. And so we believe in God. To have a watch, you have to have a watchmaker. Watches don't just appear, not with their complexity. And then there's the teleological argument, which telos in Greek means order, purpose, design, that the watchmaker had a purpose for the watch to tell time, that it's complex. It didn't just it always exist, or it didn't just by random chance come together. And then there's the most important one, the axiological, which means judgment that God not only created the world, and created it with a purpose, but he created it with morality, that morality transcends cultures. And the watchmaker says it's wrong to take a watch that he made unless you have that person's permission. And so there's three general arguments for the existence of God. And so how is this God described? What were they going to choose? They could have chosen in the Apostles' Creed, they could have gone through here and they could have chosen rock. Uh, They could have chosen tons of other words, but they said, God the Father. I believe in God the Father. The Father is a male ancestor, a progenitor, a founder of a family or race, or one who originates or establishes something. We talk about our forefathers. Uh, We talk about a literal father. I am a literal father. These are my literal kids, two of them. Or we talk about the father of rationalism. We talk about the father of science, the father of philosophy. But God, we know, is not a male progenitor. Numbers 23, 19 tells us God is not a man. John 4, 24 tells us he has a spirit. But it is a metaphor for one who originates or establishes something. And it's a metaphor about his relationship with us. And it's a metaphor not to be taken lightly. Here's what he says in Exodus 4, 22 of God the Father then you shall say to Pharaoh, when you, when you go back to Pharaoh and tell him what I want you to tell him, this is right after he said, I'm the great I am. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. I.e., he's the father. He ends the Old Testament, Malachi 2.10, not only saying, is he a father of that nation? Malachi writes, have we not all one father? Has not God created us, shown us his creative power? Why then... Are we faithless to the one another, profaning the covenant of our Father? And I put two other scriptures over there. Acts 17, 28. Paul picks up on the same thing. That everybody, there's something inside of everybody that longs for something. And unless it is God, they're, they're making idols and other gods of things. But it's because God the Father created us for Himself. You can look at that in Acts 17, 28 or Ephesians 3, 16. We, we talked on a couple weeks ago. We begin the prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Fathers, they create, they provide, they protect, they comfort, they deliver, they teach, they rule, they they direct their children, they discipline their children, they delight in their children. I believe in God the Father. He adopted us into his family. And what kind of father is this? I believe in God the Father almighty that is god is able to do all that he intends to do according to his character 
people like to get off and ask that question when you're in a conversation and say, well, can God create a rock so big that he cannot move it? Trying to get you in that little conundrum. And here's the way you answer it. God is able to do all that he intends according to his character. He cannot act contrary to his character. That doesn't mean that he's not all powerful. Just like I can't be, um, act contrary to my character. And so God is almighty. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can make heaven and earth. Let me just talk about some of the attributes of God. There are the theologians, if you were to read these books, you don't have to read them. I'm just going to give you a summary right now and then we can move on. Um, God's incommunicable attributes. This is, he is not like us. Exodus 3, he says, I am. I am. I am the one who exists eternally without somebody having to uh, make me. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. And in Psalm 139, just read the first 16 verses. It's beautiful that he's all knowing. Where can I go from your presence? He is ever present and he is all powerful. And you may be thinking to yourself, how is that going to help me? Well, let me just make this real practical about knowing about this almighty God. If he's all knowing, then you're known. You you don't have to, and I'll correct myself, Twitter 140 characters to be known by the world. You don't have to have uh, 500 Facebook friends to be known by the world. Those are okay. But far better is it the one who knows everything knows you. You're known. You're known. I'm known. We can get lonely, but God knows us. How about him being ever-present? Not only are you known, but you're never alone. Charles Stanley, I know some of our folks love to listen to him. I remember listening to him one time about he, where he got really excited about prayer. Is he had to go deliver papers back in the day when they actually delivered. There's a thing for some of you in here that... It's called a newspaper. It used to be delivered by hand. It's not online. You can't just pick it up at the city market or every coffee shop. But it was delivered by hand, and so that was his job. And back in the day, they had to go uh, early in the morning, and he had to ride his bike. Now, I go teach a class at the Gypsum Rec Center. I show up about 5, and there's the guy in the car. He's got a stack of papers he's throwing out there. Well, Stanley had to go by himself, and he was scared. And so he prayed. And he realized he's ever-present. He's always with you. You are known and God is with you. Do you believe that? This is good theology, isn't it? And how about all-powerful? That if you're known and God is always with you, Jesus said it, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Then you're looked after. You're taken care of by the one who has the power to accomplish anything. Make a connection back to the series before. That's why we should pray without ceasing. That's why we should pray all the time about everything. Because God, the all-powerful one, can pull it off. You are known, you are never alone, and you are looked after. He's not like us. He exists by himself, not us. July 9th, 1973. That's when I, well, technically go nine months before that. Scientists... But birthday, that's when I existed on earth. And someday, I will cease to exist on earth.
Don't want that day to come too quick. But I am not self-existent. I am not self-sufficient. I rely on people. You rely on people. That's one of the biggest arguments. You, you've heard this in, in the abortion argument. Oh, well, those babies can't take care of themselves. So we want to get rid of them? Because <laughs> that's awkward. Because I have three of them, and when they came out of the womb, they couldn't take care of themselves for a long time. It's nice now, getting to a point where it's, go take a shower. But for the longest time, they were not self-sufficient and still aren't. He's immutable. He never changes. And then there are God's communicable attributes, those that He shares with us. He is holy, and He says, be holy as I am holy. He is good. He is personal. People always want to bring up, well, what about evil? Another sermon for another day. God allows evil for His greater purposes. Don't ever think God's not in control. Don't ever think that God doesn't have a purpose. You're thinking, show me that in the Bible. I encourage you to read the entire book of Job. But if you're um, just one who wants to survey the book of Job, I would have you read Job 1 and 2 and Job 38 through 42, and you will see the beauty of a sovereign God who allows suffering and evil. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that He created the heavens and earth. In Hebrew, when they often use heaven and earth, that's the idea is He made everything. Heaven and earth. What we see physically, what you see in space, God created the heavens and the earth. And He did it ex nihilo. Let me read to you Hebrews 11.3. By faith. That's what we take it on. By faith, we understand that the universe was created. We believe that as Christians. Amen? So, amen? Yay, men. Like, God created. He didn't, it didn't, you know, evolve. It didn't. It says it right here in the Word. It says it in the beginning of Genesis we'll look at. So that what is seen, you and I can leave here and we can see a wonderful place on this earth, was not made by things that are visible. That God created ex nihilo. Here's how he said it in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, the prime mover, created, that's the prime action, when? In the beginning. That's when time begins as we know it, not for him, the heavens and the earth, everything. Psalm 19, 1-6 says it poetically. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so there's a po- poetic display. And then Paul gives an argument in Romans 1. For his invisible attributes, that is, all the greatness of God that we just talked about, namely, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived, or as the NAS says, clearly seen, ever since the creation of the world, in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This is why 
I argue so vehemently for the creation by God because it explains God. Everything we see in the Bible, how can I get my arms around this powerful God? Go look at the mountains. You're going to hear this summer in the Psalms of Ascent. I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? He's looking to the mountains. Somebody greater than the mountains, the one who created the mountains. And thus, people see this. They long for something greater than themselves. They are, all people are, without excuse. If I had to summarize God's creative power in two words, one would be He's an artist. Think about it. Look around. I don't, do we have any twins in here? No twins? we got a twin, but he's not here. But everybody's unique. Even this twin, there's differences about them. But God is a wonderful artist in how he creates human beings. He's a wonderful artist in how he's created the world. He's a wonderful artist not only in how he created the world, but how the world works. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of a drongo bird and a meerkat. Anybody ever seen? Aren't they cute little creatures? Here's, you can go watch this video on YouTube. I didn't want to take the time to show it, but this meerkat, there's a scout out there, and when he sees danger, he makes a certain sound. And so the drongo bird, to win their trust, one day made the sound to which all the meerkats run into their little hole. And they're like, oh, he made a little sound. He mimicked it. And then the, the drongo bird, because he figured this out, these meerkats like to eat scorpions and, and worms. And so the next time they go out to get their worms, guess what the little drongo bird does? Makes that warning sound again. And then they all run inside and he swoops down and he gets their food. All created by a wonderful, creative God. Or uh, have you ever heard of the reticular activation system? All right. Uh, when I bought that, not that one, but a truck like that, before we came here, I thought, man, this is the, one of the most unique trucks on the planet. And the minute I bought that and pulled out of the Honda lot and I'm driving down the highway in Dallas, I see like three on the way home. Like, what in the world? I thought I had the only cool truck on the planet. They're all over the place. Yes, because that's because of my reticular activation system. Uh, lets me know other cars. Once I have this frame of reference, then I start to see it. And you say, well, that's no big deal. Oh, but it's a big deal because it allows you and filters out. There's so much stuff. It's, it's like CNN coming into our brains every day, all this stuff going in. And we have a system that filters all that out. Otherwise, literally, we would go bonkers. But when you get something in your frame of reference, like a new truck, and you think, this is, I'm, look at me, hot dog. And then you look around and you're like, look at all the other hot dogs with that truck. God is good. God is creative. He's an artist. And He's a ruler. The one who creates oversees what is created. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude like a roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord is what that means. It means the same in Hebrew and in Greek. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why? A summary of what we've just talked about. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. If God is the ruler, then we're dependent on Him. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient, not me. And we're responsible to Him. Be fruitful and multiply 
cultivate the earth and subdue it. So as we learn today, work is a God-given thing. Work was established by God. We are to go do it with joy. And it's to be not only dependent on God and responsible to God, but it's to be done in a way that worships God. That we don't just work as unto men, but as to the Lord. And so he is an artist and he is a ruler. And we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth. So how do you conclude this piece with Scripture? Keep your right in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.6. Worth memorizing. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. There's the two words used in the same sentence. Without faith, that is belief, we can't please God. For whoever would draw near. Do you want to draw near to God? Anybody? I do. I want to draw near to God. We must believe, number one, that He exists. There is a God who exists and I am not Him. And that He rewards those who seek Him. So my encouragement to you today in light of God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, do you believe in Him? And would you seek Him? And know that only we can come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a life we could not live and died a death that we should have died. All my sins, past, present, and future, laid on Jesus. Colossians 2 said He nailed it to the cross for the world to see. He's mine. And so now, when I go work, I serve my uh, masters, my earthly masters, as I would my heavenly master. Because I serve in the power of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. And so today, do you believe Him? And if you do, seek Him. Hopefully the sun will come out. Because yesterday was awesome. Let's do that again. If the sun does come out, seek Him outside. If it doesn't, watch English Premier League soccer. It's a wonderful activity to do. (laughs) Father, Thank you for this time together with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we, by your grace and for your glory, believe in you. Not on any works that we did on our own, but because you opened our eyes to see how beautiful you are. Thank you for being a father. Thank you for being a sovereign God. Thank you for giving us this world to live in. I pray that we would grow deeper in our belief and faith in you and we would seek you more and more today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.